I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the book of Psalms, where we'll be reading Psalm 39. And if you're using one of the Bibles there provided in the pew, uh, this will be on page 437, Psalm 39. If Psalm 37 sort of felt like Proverbs inside of the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 39, I submit to you, is like Ecclesiastes uh, put inside the Psalms in a shorter form. This is Psalm 39. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute, and I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin and consume like a moth what is dear to him, surely... All mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. And that will conclude our reading for this morning, Psalm 39. I said this was like Ecclesiastes in a short version, and so one of the first points that I'd like to highlight from this psalm is a phrase that's used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that I think what we have here is a description on the part of the psalmist of life under the sun. That's one of the repeated phrases throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. That this, we have here an honest telling of what life is like under the sun. Another way to say that is this describes the ordinary human experience. There are times where the psalmist is reflecting a very peculiar uh, thing that's going on. And uh, we have never been asked to lead a whole nation. And sometimes David's crying out because he's leading a nation and certain conflicts are happening uh, because uh, of his role in that level of authority and leadership here on the earth. This is a more general psalm that we don't know the specifics behind what it is that is being felt in this moment and I submit to you it therefore describes something that all of us feel at times not just rulers and leaders uh, but all of us if we're honest about what life is like under the sun uh, Ecclesiastes is my favorite book of the Bible which uh, for some uh, that tells you more about my weird personality uh, than anything else, but it's, it's sobering 
honesty to me is refreshing. And if I ever have somebody express sort of a skepticism about the Bible and saying, you know, how could anything that was written so long ago actually have any relevance to us today, you know, before there were cell phones and, and global communication and travel and all of that? What, what possibly could something so old have to speak to us today? Uh, at times when I've had the opportunity, I've asked somebody, if you never read the Bible, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Just read the whole thing, and then I'll ask you one question afterwards. And if they take me up on that and read that, then I ask them, does that feel like it could have been written yesterday? And they usually say, yes. That feels like something that could have been penned by somebody who was reading the headlines of our newspapers, wrestling with the challenges of our own day. And Psalm 39 is consistent in that way, that this reality of life under the sun, that there are challenges that perplex us. There's things that we don't feel like we have words for. Twice in this psalm, the psalmist is saying he's going through something that he is literally just zipping his mouth because he doesn't even know the right thing to say about what's going on. And whatever it is is hard, and he doesn't want to make it harder. And we've all had those experiences where we've been confronted by something that we then say, I, just, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what words would be appropriate to offer when somebody shares the kind of news that they share or that we receive the kind of news about ourselves that just completely reveals to us uh, the fullness of our humanity, that our time is limited, that it is short, that the pains we're feeling are actually uh, revealing something greater than we might have thought. When we're confronted with those situations, and then confronted with evil around us that is part of what uh, the psalmist is also uh, grappling with and recognizing that there are problems beyond us and bigger than us that we don't have adequate words for or even adequate power to control. But here the psalmist says, even in his silence, before it though, he can't turn off his mind and his heart and his feelings and so eventually he's got to say something and what he chooses to say is a prayer to ask God to help him with what he's handling because he's facing this reality as a believer in God and that's revealed throughout the psalm and for me one of the ways some people misread Ecclesiastes is they take that phrase life under the sun and they think that means life without God and so they read Ecclesiastes and say yeah I mean it's really honest and sober, but it's kind of this, well, this is how hard life is if you don't believe in God, but if then you believe in God, life's not that hard and challenging. And anybody who's been a believer for more than a minute hopefully has the sobriety to say, if, if one day you superficially thought that life is revealed to you, life is hard whether you're a believer or not. Things puzzle you and are mysterious to you whether you have faith in God or not. But if you think, no, 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 life is only confusing and hard without him, but once you have him, everything's supposed to go well, then you really feel lost when even as a believer in God, you confront challenge and adversity, sickness and separation, and all kinds of difficulty. If in your mind, those are never supposed to happen to you if you have faith in God. But I think scripture is honest from beginning to end that life under the sun is life for all of us. 
and still life for those of us who would say we believe in God and we trust his word and we believe that he was purposeful in creating it and we believe it has an ultimate end that's in uh, his sovereign control. In that reality, there's still things that we will encounter that puzzle us. And that's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. That it doesn't all make sense to us. We're not sure where it's all going to go or how we're going to get there. And it's okay for us to actually acknowledge that. It's, it's needed for us to acknowledge that. And so we might be able to say, uh, life without God is hard, and life with him is less hard, but it's not easy. <laughs> there are plenty of challenges where I do wonder, how would I confront this if I didn't have God in my life, if I didn't have the support of other people in prayer? And so I, I don't want to undermine the good role that faith plays in our lives and the good role that Christian community is supposed to play in our lives. There, there are burdens that are supposed to be lifted at Calvary. There are uh, ways in which we can support one another. And all of that is good. And it's what motivates us to believe and to support one another. But we're still, if we're honest, all confronted with challenges. And the psalmist is open and honest about that. And with all then what that brings out emotionally and spiritually in him, he cries out in prayer to say, O oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. And so in looking at life and all of its challenges, he doesn't say, okay, now let me figure out how to distract myself so that I never have to think about it. In prayer, he says... God, help me learn what you want me to learn from that. Help me to be sobered by that and not have this constant anxiety about it, but also not seek a life of distraction from it. Help me face it, and in facing it then, help me live in that reality. And so this life under the sun, with its challenges, with its times of silence, and then later he talks about just feeling like a stranger, and that the he, he recognizes he's not fully at home in this world because of what he's going through. And he thinks back at his ancient forefathers and says, I think that was true of them too. They lived their lives, and even with faith in God and even honoring him, they never saw within their life the fullness of every dream fulfilled, of every plan accomplished. They lived by faith, and much of what God was doing, he was doing across lifetimes, across generations. And so each believer in him still feels a sense of that strangeness, that everything won't be fulfilled within the span frame of our lives. Every promise won't come true in our days. And that's okay to acknowledge out loud. And it's why we're thankful we believe in a God who is bigger than us, bigger than our lifespan, and works over time. And so here, David is specifically saying, Lord, as I look at life under the sun, help me think about death under your sovereign hand. Help me face the reality that I'm sobered by. And so all throughout, he acknowledges that it's the Lord who has been disciplining him as he disciplines his children who he loves. 
and not for a moment in spite of all that is mysterious and difficult and challenging that he's honest about does he deny that God is still God and that he is the sovereign over this world. And the sooner we can acknowledge that, the better off we end up being. Jesus actually tells us a story about someone who refuses to say the kind of prayer that the psalmist prays, who doesn't want to face the reality of the limitations of their own lives. So I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12, where Jesus tells the short parable of someone who's thinking they're doing so well in the world that they don't ever have to face the reality of the end of their days. And so this is Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Jesus is teaching, and it says that someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so this fool's statement is the opposite of the prayer of Psalm 39. Rather than praying, God, help me know how short my time is and let me make the most of it, he's looking at his stuff and saying, I've got all the time in the world. And I can just assume everything is going to go, therefore, the way I want. And Jesus' description of that person is a fool. And so the description of the approach of the psalmist in Psalm 39 is not, oh, why are you so down and negative? It's, hey, you've got wisdom. Yes, you're supposed to be sobered by the reality of life under the sun and death under the sovereign hand of God. It's actually good to think about that and to allow it to shape your life. Last week uh, at the prayer gathering at the the Kemp's house, the night of song and worship, there was, our kids were playing with a group of kids uh, and having a really good time. And I just wanted to go over, nobody was misbehaving, but I just wanted to encourage uh, my kids to really make sure as we were about to go into another time of singing again, like really play nice, get along, because we're going to be over here and do what you're supposed to do. And another kid is looking at me telling Uh, Joshua to just make sure everybody's getting along and everybody's being kind and he talks out loud and I think he knows I'm there but he like kind of turns and so he assumes I'm just not gonna really hear what he's saying but he's just confused and he's like Joshua's dad has no hair (laughs) Joshua's dad is bald and I'm assessing the situation he's looking at Joshua like we're kind of the same age and 
he looks like a grandpa almost. Like, what, what is going on? How old is this guy who's coming over and trying to tell him uh, to behave? And it's good for me to be reminded that even though I think I'm not very old, that um, I do look older, which more often than not is actually helpful. Um, but a reminder that, yes, I am not as young as I used to be. And it's not a bad thing to be aware of that, to be able to laugh about that, to be able to find community in that reality so that otherwise we're tempted to constantly distract ourselves from that reality and live with this sort of low-level anxiety that affects everything we do and every relationship we have. Because if we're living constantly in the fear of missing out, that this is the only life we have and our, the, the clock is just counting down, that that is no way to live. And the sooner we face the reality of our limitations, the more we can actually experience the amazing gift that every day is. Life is a gift. It's a sacred gift. And the, the sooner we realize that, as we are reminded about the reality of death, the better we are able to live in the way that we're supposed to. Not constantly a fear of getting to know anybody or fear of building a relationship or fear of making a sacrificial, generous gift to help somebody else, but in the freedom to enjoy each day as a God-ordained day, that he's the sovereign one. If you're here today, it's not because you were just smart enough to be here. It's not because you had some great plan that somehow worked out. If you've lived long enough, you realize the miracle is that you're still here. When so many things could have gone another way, you're actually still here. And it's an amazing gift that we have opportunities then to thank God for. Thank God for in the ways that we live that life and how we treat and interact with other people. Um, there was a story I read that was uh, humbling about uh, Alfred uh, Nobel, uh, this is in a book by Randy Alcorn, but he tells this uh, story that Alfred Nobel, he was a Swedish chemist who made his fortune by inventing dynamite and other powerful explosives the governments bought to produce weapons. And the story goes that when Alfred's brother Ludwig died, a French newspaper accidentally printed Alfred's obituary. And so then he read the story of his own passing. And he got to hear what somebody else then would say about him, thinking he was no longer there to hear it. In the obituary, it says, described him as a man who became rich from enabling people to kill each other in unprecedented quantities. So in reading that, shaken by that assessment, he resolved to use his fortune to reward accomplishments that benefited humanity including what we now know as the Nobel Peace Prize. He invested $9 million in this attempt to edit his role in history. It says that Alfred had a rare opportunity to look at the assessment of his life at its end, and yet while he was still alive and had the opportunity to change that assessment. It's a gift for all of us to think about the reality of the end of our days and to let it shape us so that we live our days in the fullness of what God intends. And so this psalm points us, like all the psalms do, as we take this sober assessment of life and death under our sovereign God, 
of the hope and promise of eternal life under our resurrected Savior. That's part of the strangeness of Christian worship, that we celebrate communion regularly, this reminder of death under a sovereign God in our Savior. Why do we do that? Because we celebrate that he conquered death. We don't avoid the subject because we believe he's been victorious over it. And he who conquered it and was victorious over it has promised to the world eternal life with him. That's the the most famous verse in scripture, most well-known, that God gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And that life can already be experienced by us now. And we already see the psalmist uh, indicating that. When, he, when he's so frustrated by the options before him, verse 7, he says, For now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And if we have that hope in God and God alone, in the one who transcends the grave, we, we experience the greater freedom in all of the hardness and the challenge of life that we can be honest about and say, we still feel like we're strangers here. There's things that still cause us to be shaken to our core that we don't have words for. We're thankful that we serve a God who sent his son who experienced those horrors, those difficulties, and he rose again victorious over it. And he invites us to come and follow after him. And so in conclusion, this this verse from Galatians summarizes uh, beautifully this description of the the Christian life, that if, when we take seriously all of these things, we can say like Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the psalmist who in all of his struggles in wrestling cried out to you in prayer. And we want to echo that same prayer that, Lord, you would help us to measure our days, that you would help us to know our end, that we could be liberated knowing that we are ultimately in your hands and not our own. That we can feel the freedom that you desire for us as your children. To not be afraid of our end, but to know that every good thing that you have promised to give us, that if we don't receive it in this life, that you've promised us the hope of eternal life. And that you will bring to fullness every good thing that we experience that we miss out on, that, we, that you have promised that you will one day give us. And we do pray that you would help us to receive each day as the gift that it is. See life as a sacred privilege. We pray that you'd help us to use our lives as a blessing to those around us. That we can point other people to the very same hope that is in you and you alone. And it's in your Son, our Savior's name we pray. Amen.